0: You are listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit lancelambert.org. Jesus has already obtained the victory. We are no longer under the domain of evil, but we are free because Christ has made us free. He does not pace in anxiety wondering what will happen, but he sits at the right hand of his Father until his enemies are made his footstool. Now, we have very little time this morning, but if you will turn to the 110th psalm, this psalm has been very much on my heart now for some nine days, I think, and we cannot possibly do even a little justice to this tremendous psalm, but I will read it first. Perhaps we'll take a bird's eye view of it this morning and perhaps if the Lord helps us, I don't know when, we will be able to look at it a little more closely. I have a feeling that this psalm is perhaps a psalm that God wants to write into us all for this coming year of 1977 if we are spared. 77, may it be a year of fullness and completeness. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord will send forth the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people offer themselves willingly in the day of thy power in holy way Or in the beauty of holiness. Out of the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand will strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill the places with dead bodies. He will strike through the head in many countries. He will drink of the brook in the way. Therefore, will he lift up the head. By common consent, this is a messianic psalm. Even the wildest modernistic scholars tend to believe and accept that this is a messianic psalm. It would be very hard since our Lord Jesus quoted this psalm directly and gave them an even greater problem by saying, David by the Spirit said. And many do not believe that this is a Davidic psalm. But our Lord Jesus actually, you remember, just before his arrest, on the same day that he was arrested, he quoted this psalm as the final word the confrontation he had with the Jewish establishment in the temple precincts. How then did he said, did David by the Spirit speak? In this way the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies the footstool of thy It is an incredible psalm, especially when we look at it more closely, because it presents us with a number of problems. What on earth does verse 3, the last part, really mean? Out of the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. Or, in uh, probably more correctly, thy youth, meaning all the young people, thy youth are to thee as the dew. What has that quite got to do with it? And we have, of course, this other oft-quoted verse. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then we have this other strange verse 7. He will drink of the brook in the way. Therefore will he lift up his head. And one wonders now, what has that to do with all this judgment? That is just before. It is a very interesting and wonderful psalm. And all I can do in the little time, the few minutes we have this morning, but it seems to be so in keeping with everything that we have been contributing by the Spirit this morning, that I I think it would be right just to at least communicate a little, and then we'll see how the Lord will lead us laterally. First of all, we have the most wonderful statement of the absolute enthronement of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Oh, what a wonderful word. No more fighting. No more striving. No more, as it were, contention. No more confrontation. He is to sit. Now, a wonderful thing about sitting is that something else takes your whole weight. Think. (laughs) When you are sitting, you are in a a position of relaxation. Or should be. (laughs) Because something else takes your weight. You don't fight sitting. Normally, you don't confront somebody sitting. You know, when you've got an argument, most people rise up out of their chairs when they've got an argument on. Of course, the British, especially the English, are rather more level. Possibly they could conduct an argument sitting in the chair. I don't know. But for the rest of the world, I think most people get so sort of excited and so steamed up that they can't sit in the chair. They're up! Eyeball to eyeball. (laughs) You don't fight sitting. You don't confront evil sitting. It's a position of rest. And isn't it a wonderful thing that the Lord Jesus has finished the work? Now, he's not only finished the work of our salvation, but he has obtained every single thing required by God to complete the work. Concerning his son. Now I don't mean of course the work of our salvation. I mean to complete the work of the building of the church. The producing of the bride. Or however else you like to see it. That program of God. From eternity to eternity. That plan of God. That that conception of God. In his mind when he created Adam and Eve. In his own image. And after his likeness. In spite of the fall. In spite of a world lying in the evil one. In spite of the powers of darkness. In spite of the flood of iniquity and evil. That will in the end encompass the whole world. The Lord Jesus will not stand. He will continue to sit. Oh child of God. How wonderful. Just think. You might feel that. As we near the end of the age and as the advent of the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the man of sin, become, comes nearer and nearer, our Lord Jesus will begin to get agitated. He would begin to feel, now, 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 what's going to happen? Are my dear ones going to overcome? Are they going to be more than conquerors? Is the work going to be completed? It's true he intercedes. But the wonderful thing is, the command of the father to the son is sit thou until. Oh, how wonderful! So everything has been accomplished. Dear child of God, there is not a single thing required for the perfection of the bride of Christ, for the completion Of the house of God. For the calling out of the elect people of God. From the nations of the world. There is not a single thing required. To complete that work. That has not been obtained. Through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is not a single requirement. For the absolute defeat of Satan. That has not already been accomplished. And obtained through the finished work of the Lord Jesus. If we would only realize it. When the enemy comes against us, when he storms around us, when he breathes all his lies and insinuations into our ears, into our inner ear, into our minds. When we begin, as it were, to to indulge in infighting, sort of investigating one another, trying to find all the boots and all the rest of it. Oh, dear child of God, we feel the enemy breathing down our neck. We feel as if the Lord is a million miles away. And all we feel is that the enemy seems to be in charge. It seems to be his day, his hour. But, dear children of God, if we only knew it, The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down or casting down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. All we have to do is to stand and having done all, stand. That's all. And the victory is ours. If we only realized That the Lord Jesus has been sold. Sit thou at my right hand. Until I make thine enemies the footstool of thy feet. Do you need a baptism of love? Do you need a baptism of power? Do you need to know an endowment, an anointing? Dear child of God, it is not something that there's a debate on in heaven at the present time as to whether to give it to you or not. Some kind of debate, shall we, shall we not, shall we, shall we not. Well, we've got the statistics. So-and-so did this and that they had four quiet times last week. Well, well, well. Maybe then we ought to do something for them. So-and-so did quite well. They witnessed in the office last week. Maybe we should do something for them. You know, we get the idea that somehow heaven's in a kind of debating chamber. Sort of people coming up and the things being sorted out by a lot of sort of uh, gentlemen, angels, round a table. Sort of trying to work out Shall we bless? Shall we not? But my dear friend, every single thing required not only to save you, not only to deliver you, not only to liberate you, not only to conform you to the image of God's Son, not only to make you fruitful in the Spirit, but to endue you with power for service to do the job that God has given you to do, every single thing has already been obtained by the Lord Jesus Christ. If we only had eyes to see it! It changes the whole outlook, the whole mentality, when the eyes of our heart suddenly see something that for years we've heard. I had a letter from Chucky, only the other day. He says, what do you think? I've had a tremendous experience of the Holy Spirit after two years with you. (laughs) Well, I didn't think that was too bad. After all, the disciples had three years with the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Two whole years, he said. And then he said, I felt so lonely. He said, I took down Norman Grubb's God Unlimited. Now, Norman Grubb's God Unlimited is a book that I'm not sure that I would give to anybody. Of all the books of Norman Grubb, of of which I am very, very fond indeed, I think I might be a little more careful about God Unlimited because I would feel people might not understand. But this book did something. He saw that It wasn't Chuck, but it was God. He'd done it all. Christ had obtained it, transformed it. Well, it's worth putting up with people for two years. (laughs) (laughs) If at the end of it something happens, people say they don't believe in second experiences. I believe in them. And third. (laughs) And fourth. And fifth. Some of them are so tremendous that they eclipse even our conversion and make us wonder whether we were ever saved before. Oh, dear child of God, it's all a It's Not as if God is sort of saying, now I might do it or I might not. So-and-so, well, if so-and-so continues to come to all the meetings for another week or two, we'll do it. So-and-so goes without a lunch? Four times out of seven? we we'll think about it. Now, I'm not pouring scorn upon sacrifice or fasting or good works or the necessity of prayer or study of the word, or assembling of ourselves together. But what I'm saying is if you make those things into the means by which you win the favor of God, you have damned yourself. You have put yourself into a position where God cannot meet you. For you are making the basis for God to meet you, your own works and your own goodness, trying to curry his favor, when in fact the Lord Jesus has done it all for you. And God has said to him, sit thou at my right, and until I make thine enemies the footstool of thy feet. Do you belong to the enemy, or do you belong to God? Do you belong to the powers of darkness, or do you belong to the Christ of God? If you belong to the Christ of God, you are no longer in the domain of evil. The links have been severed. You may not know it. There may be now and again practical things that have to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. But the work has been completed. Oh, dear child of God, how wonderful it is until I make thine enemies the footstool of thy, So that great monolithic atheist system, communism, Marxism, will in the end be the footstool. Of his feet. And he won't even have to rise from his throne. Except to meet the martyrs. He will sit. Until. Marx and Lenin. And Stalin. And Khrushchev. And Brezhnev. And Kosygin. And anyone else who comes. Become the footstool of his feet. Until Chairman Mao is the footstool of his feet. Or whatever else. When this man of sin finally appears in the world. And the whole world goes whoring after him. He shall in the end also become the footstool of the the feet of our Lord Jesus. Now it's a very interesting thing in the East. I only found this out a little while ago. I found that you must never sit with the soles of your feet up, in an Oriental Jewish household, or in an Arab household. If you show the soles of your feet, it is the biggest insult you could put. Now, you know, often Americans sit rather like Danny here, sort of, and of course, others sort of sit with their feet right out like this, you know, it's very, very hard to remember. Never do it. Gladys Thomas told me of a little girl, of only four years of age, who was uncontrollable hysteria, weeping and weeping, the teacher could do nothing for her. Finally, Gladys was called. Gladys went down. And when they, after much difficulty, had calmed the little girl down, finally, Gladys was all saying, well, what is it, dear? What, what is it, what, what's upset you? Finally, she said, someone, I don't know what her name was, uh, but she mentioned another little contemporary school friend of hers. In the same class, she said... <laughs> Miss Thomas, she showed me the sole of her feet. <laughs> now doesn't that make you realise what it means when you, you brush the dust off the soles of your feet against them and it shall be a testimony in that day. See? There's such a lot about the feet. The, the, Joshua made the elders of Israel put the soles of their feet on the necks of the king. Yes. These people are going to be the footstools at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Absolutely defeated. But then there's something else very wonderful. You see, our time is flying away. Look, it says, The Lord will send forth the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Out of Zion? Where is Zion? Where is Zion? Of course, physically, it is one of the three mountain tops upon which Jerusalem is built. Mount Mar- Moriah, Mount Ophel, and Mount Zion. But where is this spiritual Zion? Surely it is the dwelling place of God. It is another term for the house of God. The church of God, the bride of God, the city of God, Zion, glorious things of the spoken, Zion, city of our God. The Lord will send forth the Rod of thy strength out of Zion. This word rod in some of your versions, scepter, is just the same word in Hebrew that is used of Moses' rod, and Aaron's rod that budded. The little rod that Moses lifted up. The the rod that was the symbol of Aaron's authority that was laid up, you remember, after the, the division and faction of others in the temple. The Lord will send forth the rod of thy strength out of Zion, rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. How does the Lord rule in the midst of his enemies? Surely, dear children of God, here is the great secret that once we see that the Father has said of the Son, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies the footstool of, the, of thy feet. Then we are the ones who have got to cooperate with him. We are the ones to whom has been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever we lock on earth has already been locked in heaven. Whatsoever we loose on earth. shall have been loosed in heaven. Do you understand? In other words, this rod of the the Lord's strength stretching forth out of Zion is something that the church has got to cooperate with or we will not see the, the powers of darkness set back. You can implore and implore and implore the Lord. You can pray and pray and pray but there comes a time when you have to state facts and only the stating of facts throws the enemy back. Why, if they had stood on the banks of the River Jordan and had a prayer meeting for four years, they would have still been there when they all died. The new generation. They would have had endless prayer meetings. That's all. More and more heavy, more and more difficult. And they would still not have got across, because until they took the Ark of the Covenant into the water and until the soles of the, of the priest's feet actually was, uh, stood on the riverbed, the waters didn't part. Now, of course we have to pray, but there are times when we have to use the rod of God's authority. It is a very interesting thing, I think, to consider for a while that it is the church's responsibility and job to put these enemies under the feet of the Lord Jesus. Think of Ephesians 1, verse 21, 22, 23. He has been made, all things have been placed in subjection under his feet. And he has been made head over everything to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. What does it mean? Is it just a lovely thing we talk about? You see, it is an an amazing fact that when we rise up and praise the Lord that he's king and really mean it, when we sing, when we declare the fact it does something in the atmosphere. All of us feel suddenly released, as if an oppression that has been around us for days suddenly lifts. How do you explain that? Some people would say, oh, it's psych- psychological, but it's very strange. You can do a lot of other things, and it has, doesn't do anything. <laughs> we could have had an hour of prayer saying, Lord, be Lord, please, Lord, get the the the, the sort of ascendancy over this, over that, over the other, and we might have felt a little better for pouring our hearts out, but it wouldn't have done anything. We would still feel just as oppressed, and in fact, sometimes we feel heavier than ever. But when we declare the facts, it's as if something in the atmosphere releases the situation and stands back. It's truth. It is the power and efficacy of truth, for the devil is a liar, but he knows the truth. And we only have to state the truth, and the devil stands back. That's why it's so important, dear young believer, for you to confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth as Lord, as well as believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. For when you confess him with your lips as Lord, it sets back the power of darkness around you. You say suddenly, Jesus is my Lord. And in that moment, Satan has to step back. He has to accept He knows that you're saved and inherent in your salvation is the lordship of Jesus Christ over you. He has redeemed you, spirit, soul, and body. When you confess it with your lips, something happens. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies, all the enemies of God, the enemies of God in this country, the enemies of God in this locality, the enemies of God in this world. They are Everywhere, yet of the Lord Jesus it is said rule thou, rule yeah, thou in the have dominion. Same word, you remember? That we talked about in the summer. Have dominion. Over your enemy. And then you notice, of course, that there are other things I can only now just touch on them. But in verse 3, it says thy people offer themselves willingly. Ah, now we come to it. In the Hebrew, it is really basically the idea is thy people are as free will offerings. No compulsion. No, you know, God will never force you. The Apostle Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God. To present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your divinely intelligent worship. Oh, no compulsion. Oh dear, that depresses us, doesn't it? I don't know, there's something about us all that's been done in us by the fall. It's made us so passive that even when we're good Calvinists, um, we somehow twist the whole thing round to become a passivity. We want God to treat us like puppets, twitch our arms, twitch our mouth. Oh, we'd love that. Sort of, uh, you know me, Lord, if You're Almighty. you get me out of that door, you know. And our attitude is, He's got to lift us. Doesn't think I'm going to walk over there, does he? I might, I might be wrong. So if he wants me out, let him carry me. And you know what happens? You will sit in your situation till the Lord comes or till you die. Now, listen to me. In another 20 years, the basic issue of your life will still be exactly the same as it is this morning. God never bludgeons his way into your life. Someone's got this problem about their contribution. They feel that somehow, so they're waiting, 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 waiting. It's always mañana, mañana, it's always tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, there is always a tomorrow. And tomorrow, the Lord will fall on me. Tomorrow, the Spirit of God will do something. We are incurable optimists. We feel that somehow or other, in the end, well, we get comforted. Moses sat for 40 years in the desert. (laughs) So we think to ourselves, well, 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 I don't think Moses 40 years in the desert was that passive. No, dear child of God, there has to come a time when you know what you are and you, by faith, go forward. Then God meets. Until you are prepared to be a free will offering. And that is the heart of the matter. It is to be a free will offering. That is no compulsion. No compulsion. You offer yourself as a living sacrifice, whatever the cost. If it means India, if it means Indonesia, if it means somewhere else, some forsaken spot of the world. Right, you're ready. You don't want it. But you're ready. If it means to remain single, you're ready. If it rem- means to get married, you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> it is a strange thing to me that so often those that the Lord sometimes calls to be single want to get married, and those who have to get married are sometimes those who would rather remain single, but still, by the <laughs> "I will leave it and not enter any more into this matter. But the fact of the matter is, the the root of the whole thing, the basis of the whole thing is to be a free will offering. For once you have settled this issue, that you are the Lord's lock, stock, and barrel, that he is Lord over your life, that his will is going to be your will, and that you are prepared to pay the price, whatever the price is, by the grace of God. You are now on a basis... That is quite different. Have you noticed it says, thy people are those free will offerings in the day of thy power? It's related to his enthronement, to his ascension. Pentecost is intimately related to the ascension of Christ. And no man or woman ever has a real experience of the Holy Spirit's anointing power apart from seeing the ascended Lord. If you don't see the ascended Lord, it's a transient experience, experience. And it becomes like a drug. Then you all the time got to have a certain atmosphere and a certain kind of feeling. But when you've seen that the Lord is at the right hand of the majesty on high, then you see that he has received the promise of the father and poured forth this which you see here then somehow you realize the ascended head of the church is in living union with the members and is able to equip them and provide for them and direct them and guard them till the work is completed Oh, in the day of thy power, in the beauty of holiness, in holy array. Of course, the idea there, you know, in the Hebrew idea is not so much something that's lovely to look at, but something that is uh, in its right order, symmetry. But in actual fact, it probably has very much more to do with the garments of the priests. You get that in Exodus. I think it's chapter 25, 26, 27, 28. You see... You, you can't offer yourself willingly unless you first had the garment of salvation upon you. But if you've got the garment of salvation and read about those wonderful garments that the priests had to wear every time they came into the presence of the Lord, their bodies washed with pure water, and then the fine linen, and then the girdle of embroidered work upon them, then they could come into the presence of that is the beauty of holiness. And then you had this amazing thing about out of the womb of the morning. What does it mean? What on earth has that got to do with it all? Out of the womb of the morning, thy youth is as to thee, or as to thee, are as due to thee. <laughs> well, I can only say one thing. It speaks of a new day and a new life and a new power and a new purpose and new hopes, and new aspirations. And you know, when you think about it, it all began with the Lord Jesus. He said, behold, I make all things new. Everything about the Lord Jesus is so new. It began. He is the new creation. Have you found that? Wherefore, if any man be in Christ, there is a new creation. And you know, if you and I are going to know anything about ruling in the midst of enemies, if we're going to know anything about the rod of his strength coming out of Zion, we have got to know a lot about new life. The old cannot come into all our old things. Somehow God's got to deal with them. It's all got to be new all the time. Born of God. You. It is an incredible thing that Jerusalem more or less remains alive on the dew all through the dry season. Middle of the night, that thick dew comes down. I always noticed with the car where we are, it's no good really washing it because every day you come out, it, it looks a sight because first dust has come down and then the dew comes down. It makes a terrible mess of everything. You get the car beautifully washed and the next morning, it looks a terrible mess. And you think, where does the dew come from? Uh, you've never heard the dew fall, have you? You haven't been quietly dozing and you heard plop and you're ah <laughs> the dew has fallen. <laughs> the dew comes quietly, silently. Thy youth are as due to the, they've got the inner secret of consistent renewal. And then, of course, there's the intercessory ministry of the Lord Jesus. In verse 4, thou art a priest forever. And then there is the judgment that has been passed into his hands. And then there is this extraordinary little word. He will drink of the book in the way, therefore will he lift up the head. This ruling in the midst of the enemies is very wonderful. It begins with kings, that's the head of the nations. It goes on to the whole systems that they represent. And then finally, in verse uh, 6, it says he will strike through the head in many countries. But I think it'd be much better to say he will strike through the head over the wide earth. Meaning, first, the people, the minions, and the system, and then the heart of the matter. He will drink of the brook in the way, therefore will he lift up his head. That certainly was true of the Lord Jesus. All through his 33 years, and particularly the three years of his ministry, he was sustained by an inner life. He said, when they said to him, Lord, you looking well, where did you eat? He said, I have bread that you do not know of. There was an inner life with God. Dear children of God, isn't it wonderful to recognize that our head is already in heaven. I must close, the time has gone. I've only given you a little bird's eye view of this incredible psalm. I remember some years ago, our dear beloved brother, where he is this morning, somewhere around here, Sure, you won't mind me saying so, Fred Smith, contributing a little thought that was really quite a riot at the time around the Lord's table one Sunday morning. Those of you who remember some years ago will remember it. I have never forgotten it. Fred, in his usual, original way, said that he had been either reading the newspaper or watching television, I don't know, but he had seen a horse race. But unfortunately, the two horses that were in front were neck and neck for the last part. And when finally they went over the winning line, it seemed uh, that they were both in together. So they had to have what they call a photo finish. And they said that one horse was in by its head. Now you may wonder where Fred got such spiritual benefit from this. (laughs) And what on earth this had to do with the Lord's table and the gathering together of the Lord's people? But he suddenly said, the Lord said to me, you also have won because the head is over the line. You know, I've never forgotten that. The head is over the line. You know, our heads over the line. He's won. I don't know where you are in the body. But it doesn't really matter, dear friends. Because as long as the head is over the line, the rest has won. You got it? You might be the tail. (laughs) But in this matter, it doesn't matter. Because if the head has gone over, the tail has won. Do you get it? Now, cheer up, then. (laughs) You may feel very much that you're the tail. Right at the back, very insignificant, very unworthy, very weak. But, dear child of God, you are joined to a risen head. If he has gone over the line, you have won. And if he has won, all that he has won is yours. To be enjoyed through the Holy Spirit by faith. Don't we need new life? We do. Don't we need power? We do. Don't we need to know what it is to exercise authority over evil, over the powers of darkness? We do. Dear child of God, lift up your head and see your Lord. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies the footstool of your feet. He will drink of the brook by the way, therefore will he lift up the head. Your head is down. Take a drink of the river of life, and you will be able to lift up your head. Shall we pray? Dear Father, we do pray that thou wilt preserve us from being Sunday go to meeting Christians. Dear Lord, we want to be cooperating with thee, involved with thee, 100% involved, Lord, with thee in what thou art seeking to do in our day and generation. Lord, we give ourselves now to thee. Wilt thou, we pray, in love and mercy and grace, write this word upon our hearts and make it a living reality to us all. There must be so many of us, Lord, that need to take a drink of that water of life, that need, Lord, somehow to know the river of life, in experience, just at this present time, Lord help us to take the step of faith. We all need, Lord, to be as free will offerings in the day of thy power. O oh God, help us. Preserve us from being just people who live in theories and ideals. Help us, Lord, as we see the glory of thy ascension, to offer ourselves a living sacrifice and we ask it in the name of our lord jesus amen may you be a free will offering a living sacrifice to the lord may you know the deep deep love of jesus